Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. I'm Ben. We're here to discuss news, notes, and random thoughts from around the world of sports. Episode 73. Today's show is we discuss where Colin Kaepernick would be a fit if he were to sign with an NFL team. As promised, we look into the allegations against the Yankees' potential sign stealing and very quickly discuss the latest on negotiations between the MLBPA and the owners. But first, what's with the sunglasses? It's my style, man. Right, we're indoors. I have the bad eyes, not you, when you're wearing sunglasses. I thought to bring it up. That wasn't actually in the show notes at all. I just I had to say it. Well, if we were on video, everyone would get to see it. And I just, yeah. I just like style. I just like style, man. I mean, if. There's a lot of things I could say right now, but they're not appropriate, so I won't. All right, but first, what I was actually going to say, news on jet safety, Jamal Adams. and it, it may only be a matter of time we can say jet safety because he has officially informed the team that he would like to be traded. And we warned this would happen if they kept jerking him around. And it appears their worst nightmare has come true because their very best player and one of, by far, one of the most talented safeties in the league wants out of New York now. All the other stuff they pulled on him, which I'll let you get into because I know you know it pretty well, the situation. Yeah. All the other stuff they pulled on him, he still wanted to be there. But now the contract talks have really gone south. It appears that uh, Mr. Adams is not long for New York. If this was just they're concerned about coronavirus and, and, and what the impact financially is on its own, maybe he would give them a little latitude. Sure. If it was if we were in a vacuum and that was it, that's fine. But you got to factor in this. They jerked him around in the beginning of the season. They screwed around him during the trading deadline, intimating that they were going to trade him. They were talking to teams. They lied to him that they weren't going to trade him and then went and tried to have conversations. And then when they tried to backtrack, he called them out for the BS. And they had to have a sit-down and, and talk this out. I knew when that happened... We were going to get to this point at some juncture. When? I didn't know, but at some point we were going to get to this juncture. Well, you also knew you were going to get there because it's the Jets. It's the Jets. Well, that's by default. At some point you're going to get there with the Jets, whether it be behind closed doors or in open doors. Fortunate for us, Jamal Adams likes to put everything on the internet. Thank you, Jamal. I appreciate that. Gives us content to talk about. Yeah, because it's always a good idea to post all your dirty laundry. I, like I mean, I enjoy it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the team. Now, having said that, I don't disagree with Jamal Adams at all. No. I think the players in the right here, I'm on his side. But still, maybe the best place to air your dirty laundry is not on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Just just you know, just a thought. I think I think the other thing that's probably poking at him a little bit is one of his uh draft mates, uh Mr. CMC, has gotten his extension already. And reports are that Cleveland and Miles Garrett are I don't know if they've, they've entered into or they're getting closer to a finalization of a deal, but they're getting to a deal. And Jamal Adams probably, without looking at the draft class, CMC, we can say, is probably clear clear one, two on that board. Oh, for that whole draft class? Yeah. yeah Adams, him, honestly. Jamal Adams is, oh, well, actually, Pat, Patrick Mahomes is in that draft, too. Oh, that was the Mahomes draft. Yeah, Which, okay, by the yeah, way, okay, right. We've already we've already unveiled multiple times that that they're talking about giving him the largest contract. Yeah, he'll, ever. Get, he'll get it. He'll get the biggest contract ever. With all that set, with all that included, and the Jets are gonna screw around with Jamal Adams. If I was him, 
I'd get out of Dodge. That's just me. Now, he's intimated there's a few teams he would like to um, be traded to. The Texans. The Ravens. The Cowboys. The Chiefs. The Eagles. The Niners. And the Seahawks. Apparently are all on his list. But the Jets do not intend to trade him. Now, we know what can happen. Yeah, no, 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 no. They're saying that because they want everybody to go over the top. Right. They're hoping Bill O'Brien's got some extra first-round picks down there in Houston somewhere. Oh, if there's a team that they can they can hustle, it's the, the Texans. Oh, they don't have any more draft picks to give, but yeah, it would be the team to hustle. So here's here's where I'd, I'd land on. The team that would financially probably be able to afford him is probably the Seahawks. Like, you're going to want to trade for him and sign him to a new contract. Without looking at um, the cap and all that, I'm going to have to say the Seahawks. Just by looking, 49ers have have different avenues they have to lock up. Eagles, we've already discussed. They're yeah, looking Chiefs, at... Yeah, they're not, they can't do it. Chiefs can't for the same reasons. Uh, the Ravens, they have some money locked up. Plus, they have um, Earl Thomas for at least another year or two. I don't know how that would work out. The Texans, they're out of draft picks. Can you imagine Earl Thomas and Jamal Adams I mean, that's in the just, secondary? That's just scary. Plus, yeah, no, forget you'll, it. Yeah. you'll just transition from Earl and and Jamal to just Jamal and bring somebody else in. Yeah, and whoever else you get, too. That's, that's a scary thought. Cowboys, they have a more pressing issue. Dak yeah, Prescott. And they can't give the contracts they've just given. Bring in Andy Dalton. And then say to Dak... Well, we could pay you, but we have to bring in Jamal Adams and re-sign him. I mean, I think bringing Andy Dalton in was a, kind of signifying Dak Prescott may be on the open market next year. Right. So, I, if they want a happy Dak this year, I don't think that's a good move for the Cowboys. But that's never stopped Jerry Jones before. Oh, no, it hasn't. So, He'll be a Seahawk, a Cowboy, or a Raven. Before the season opens. I think Seahawks. I think you're right about Seattle. I think because Seattle is... Pete Carroll could do so much with him. Exactly. Oh, my God. And they're trying to negotiate with Jadavion Clowney. I don't think that's going to get anywhere because he's got his... He's come down from his price. Oh, what, a, what, a, what a gem. But I think that price is still too high. And I think it would make more sense for Seattle to go and get Jamal Adams. Surrender that second-round pick... Because New York, wake up. You're not getting a first-round pick for Jamal Adams. You get a first-round pick for someone you that that another team would want and is not demanding to trade. Right. You don't get a first-round pick, which is probably the same issue that uh, Jacksonville's have with Yannick and Jaku. You just don't get that with someone who wants to be traded. You just don't. Unless, like, how did... It, how did uh, the Texans not get a first-round pick for D-Hop. There was nothing there, as far as we know. Yeah, that trade came out of nowhere, as far as what was in the public eye, knowledge between him and Bill, you know, things that happened between him and Bill O'Brien. And then, they, yeah, they should have, without question, got at least one first-round pick for him. Like, the only thing I can think of is Larry Tunsil and and the Texans were, no, I mean, not, not the Texans, um, Larry Tunsil and the Miami Dolphins were at, uh, loggerheads with with a, a new deal, but you took advantage of another team, right? Like you don't. There's the Texans don't have a first round pick to trade unless they go future. 
Like, there's not that many teams that are dumb like that. Well, so, the, the, it's like the uh, um, the Rams giving up two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. Right. The talent's there with Jalen Ramsey, but who knows if they can afford to re-sign him with all the contracts they have. And again, another team that doesn't have the first-round picks to... Right. So it, it just seems like if, if, it, was, if it was... Look, it's a first-round talent. If the time that would have been tra- to trade him, you would have had a first-round pick from the Dallas Cowboys at that trading deadline. You would have. You, oh, it, absolutely. It, Jerry it, Jones has given a first-round pick for far less. If you could have pushed it, you would have, you would have gotten it. But you didn't. So now you're going to have to settle for a second-round pick for, for Jamal Adams. I would lean towards uh, Seattle. Agreeing with you, but I put Cowboys because of how much dialogue there was uh, seeping out during the trade deadline, and the Ravens because boy, that just makes sense. That just makes sense to me. Oh, he's 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 a fit. he's he's a player that's right up Baltimore's alley with their history. I mean, honestly, I see Jamal Adams, and I think Ed Reed. All right. I I I don't know why it, it's it's not even necessarily a playing style that has something to do with it. It's just something about the player, the way he carries himself, like. He is that defense. Yeah. He is the best player on that team, offense or defense. And you're absolutely right about the Jets screwing him back and forth. When out of nowhere last year, he's their best player and they're talking about trading him. Because they saw the Dolphins trade Minka Fitzpatrick and they're like, oh, they're just giving first-round picks away for safeties. Well, you got a guy who was in his third year who's arguably best at his position, at least top three. Right. You could lock up and make the face of your defense for the foreseeable future. He wants to be there. He said even after they, it came out that they were trying to trade him, he said, I want to be in New York. I love it here. I want to be here. And the Jets are like, a talented player who's tops in the league who wants to play with us? we got to screw this up somehow. And they did. They shot themselves in the foot. What they should have done if they knew they couldn't re-sign him or they didn't want to re-sign him or he just wasn't the direction they wanted to go, they should have gone to him and said, Jamal. What are the teams you would like to go to? We can't afford you. We want to do you a solid, do us a solid. Where would you be willing to go? He'll give them the list of teams. They shop him to those teams and say, hey, look, we have some questions whether we can keep Jamal Adams or not. They can talk however they talk in their secret GM meetings. I don't know. I'm not privy to those. But it could be a mutual situation where, hey, we're going to respect you enough to tell you we can't keep you here before anybody else finds out. We're not going to just do it, and people are going to find out. It's going to leak on social media. You're going to feel embarrassed and have to play damage control. We're going to let you know we can't. Where would you like to go? We're going to facilitate a trade to one of those teams. We're going to get a first-round pick for you. You're going to get to go somewhere you want, where they can afford you, sign your extension. Everyone's happy. But instead, the Jets, I mean, remember the South Park where they were trying to uh, like fix the economy? Yes. And they said, nobody knows how the economy works. Yes. And it was pretty much just a bunch of bad decisions on a roulette reel. Yeah. And they cut a chicken side off, and wherever the chicken landed yeah. is what they picked. That's what the Jets do with dumb decisions. Right. And stand like, for the Mar- Margaritaville. Right. And, and just said, screw it. Here's all the logical things we could do. But instead, let's, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot, which they have perfected. It is now an art form. Because how many talented players, and I know it's Patriots fans, this isn't even a Patriots fan bagging on the Jets. No. Because I could go all day if that was the case. This is a football fan, as someone who's knowledgeable about the sport and how these things should be able to work, saying, 
How can you screw this up consistently that bad? How do you have so many first-round picks that don't pan out? And when they do, you do stuff like this. Well, I mean, case in point, how do you let your star quarterback say on Monday Night Football, I'm seeing ghosts? I'm just yeah. saying. How do you mic him up? Clearly he's soft. You know this. He's inexperienced. He doesn't know better to kind of curtail his words while he's being mic'd up. And again, when we discussed this point many months ago, you mic up the, the correct person, you're fine. Right. But And, and on your Armika Fitzpatrick point, the, there's a subtle difference between Mika Fitzpatrick and Jamal Adams. And I understand the Dolphins and Mika were kind of, I don't want to say at a crossroads, but uh, Flores had a way, uh, a direction he wanted to go, and it seemed like Mika didn't want to go that direction. One distinct difference. Mika was in his second in his second year when he was traded. Right. So, essentially, the Steelers, for, for a first-round pick, and I think there was some other... Uh, ancillary picks. You got the rest of his second year, his third, now his third year, his fourth year, and his fifth year option. Three plus years. Oh, right? absolutely. Whereas for Jamal, right now, you get his fourth year, and you have to have contract uh, extension talks right now because his fifth year option is picked up. So you have him for two years, but now you have to discuss what you're going to do for him. Because he's not going to go anywhere without a contract. No, no, definitely not. No, which, so, is why, which is why teams like the Chiefs couldn't sign him because no they way. don't have the contract room. Or excuse me, the um, salary cap room. There's no way you have to. You would have to make it. You'd have to be like the Rams. You have to try to finagle the numbers and right. try to make it work, like uh, cut Ty Gurley and make that money divvy out between two years. Cut Clay Matthews and 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 try to move that money around and make yourself look really bad with these garbage deals that you made. Which is why, again, it's the it's realistically it's the Ravens and the Seahawks with the Cowboys at third place, just because it's Jerry. Just because it's Jerry Jones, and you never know what he's going to do. He could turn around and trade C.D. Lamb for Jamal Adams because he just wants to. He's Jerry Jones. But I like the Seahawks, but it makes sense for the Ravens. Regardless, both those teams are smarter than the Jets. They will get the value. You could oh, almost, the Ravens and the Seahawks. Yeah, you my could, God, they're miles smarter than the Jets. Oh yeah. I could almost see him, and this would be scary. This would be Bill O'Brien level. If they trade him for a third round pick, I surrender. Oh, anything, anything. First of all, not having to trade a first round pick for a talent like Jamal Adams, because he is much like Minka Fitzpatrick did last year with the Steelers defense. Jamal Adams is going to go in there and change somebody's defense, even if it is a Pete Carroll defense in Seattle, Mm -hmm. even if it is a Harbaugh defense. In Baltimore, both already very solid units, but I mean, I, I think more so the Ravens and the Seahawks at this point. Right. But yeah, no, th- th- he is going to go in there and whatever aspect of the game he's used in, he's going to change the aspect of that game. He is a game changer. He is, makes everybody around him better, not just himself. And you have a guy like that, and you don't have to give a first round pickup for him. I. <laughs> Any team with cap room who he's willing to go to, who can get a uh, contract extension on the table, do it. He's worth it. He's worth every penny you're going to pay him. Uh, this is just – it just blows my mind that the Jets are still a professional team. Oh, honestly. I, I, I don't. I don't understand what goes on in their front office. It is mind-boggling. 
And as as much as a Patriots fan in me, enjoy seeing them struggle on the field. You gotta feel for Jets fans because how much talent they've seen go through there, and they don't have anything to show for it. It's really incredible, and not in a good way. Uh, well, speaking of Seattle, you know there's a player that they've worked out in recent years. Not not this year, but I think it was like last year, year after. That's last is, year, year after. That would be this year. Last year, or the year after, or the year before. My apologies, <laughs> but um, that's kind of in the news right now. Um, not because anything he says or anything he's posting. It's just because, well, it's Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. And anytime the situation comes up with social injustice or taking of a knee before a game, Kaepernick's name comes up because he was really one of the guys who started that, if not the guy who started that. So. It's uh, it's natural to be a point of discussion where he's going to end up if he does end up on a team again. So we should we should talk about his value at this point, because um, the numbers don't pop. No, right? no. I mean, his best year, he had twenty one touchdowns and eight interceptions, and that's the year after they went to the Super Bowl. Yes. His last season, he had an under sixty percent completion percentage. Dude, he has under a 60% completion percentage for his career. 59.8% completion percentage. Here's the thing. We're going to get into this because, you know, everybody has their their opinion on him from a social standpoint. You admire what he does and, and you think he's a hero. You don't like what he does. You think he's disrespecting, you know, whatever, America, the flag, whatever the situation may be. I think he's made it very clear at this point that's not his intent. But some people just can't take what he says at face value, which is on them. But I think he has been blackballed by the league because they saw him as a problem. And I've never been the biggest fan of his strictly because I never thought he was that great on the field. And I think that he got a lot of credit for what he did off the field. People kind of remembered him with rose-colored glasses saying he was better on the field than he really was. So that's how we're breaking down his actual value on the field to a team right now, in our opinion. Because it's looking increasingly likely since the NFL apparently pulled a 180 on this guy. And now all of a sudden, after years of essentially blackballing him, they now appear to want him in the league with open arms. Funny how that worked. And yet, he's unsigned. Well, I think that's a lot to do with just the situation going on right now with the, you know, COVID and all that stuff. And you can't get a tryout really right now. So, But I think once everything, when, if, God, who knows, I think he's going to find a team if he really wants to play. The problem is, we discussed earlier, obviously, you know, when we were recording, we were just talking before the show, does he really want to play football, or did he kind of want to use not being in there as leverage to make himself and his cause a little bit more visible? I don't know. At this and point, we'll find I don't out. Know. I mean... I don't know at this point. It's... He's so far away from the game right now, four years, again... It's not his fault. He was blackballed. Right. But what does he want? He did the workout last year. Um, we, that we was go, a sham, yeah. We've already went, we already went through that. and I think four years later, there are so, there's so, so much in the offenses now. There's very few teams he could literally walk into and not be successful just because what he does – what him and, and Jim Harbaugh tried to, started to do in, in 
San Francisco and what teams are doing now. And there's just like there's a lot of teams that have that could use him if they didn't have a starter already. Right. And I I just think his skill set right now, if it if it's still there, could transpose onto a team that is has playoff aspirations, dare I say Super Bowl aspirations. It's quite possible. Especially if the right the right piece is in place. Now you're not looking at teams that are rebuilding and saying, Okay, Colin, come on. Be our starting quarterback. Because if I'm Colin Kaepernick, I look at that. I get it. You only have so many options, but you only have so long left. And Yeah, there's no need to put himself in a bad spot. And you're not going to get – he's not going to get a, a three-year, $80 million contract. Oh, no, that, that is no, not going to happen. No. no. Someone's going to offer him a one-year prove-it deal, but right. he needs to be able to start. Like if he's going to get one-year deal, he's got to be able to start or at least have the opportunity to, to challenge to start. Or two year deal at decent money and and the possibility to start. But Well, here's the thing. The money the money isn't gonna be big regardless. He's he has to know that. I think if I were him and he gets an opportunity from a team, he does kinda like what Teddy Bridgewater did with the Saints. I know Bridgewater was there for more than one year. But you go into a team that either has you know, we're gonna discuss in a few minutes our list of teams he could end up on, in our opinion. And I have five teams, Ben has three. But the three he has are three that I have also. I have two additional. It's either not a stable quarterback situation, an aging quarterback situation, or just a bad quarterback situation. And there's only a few teams that really have that. You know, he's not going to go to a team like Kansas City. Number one, they really can't afford to spend that kind of money on a backup quarterback. And two, Mahomes is the guy. You know that. So they're not going to they're not going to spend any extra money on a backup. Um you know, he's not going to go to, like, a Houston. Watson's the guy. Yeah. He's not going to go to – there's been a lot of talk about the Chargers. Chargers doesn't make sense. They have Tyrod Taylor. They're saying, I'm happy they are with Tyrod Taylor. That's been an entire song they're singing in the offseason. Which is funny that Anthony Lynn came out saying he should be on a team. Right. Anthony Lynn thinks he should be on a team, but then he said he wouldn't be on the Chargers because he likes their setup. So Anthony Lynn's flying through everyone else under the bus. But, you know, he wants to make himself look good before he makes, makes it clear he's not signing him. Which, look, I don't even blame them for because they have Tyrod Taylor and they drafted Justin Herbert with the sixth overall pick, I believe. Yeah, and they got some other... Some other guy, but either way, I mean, you're not you're not going to go... Kaepernick's not going to be 3 deep. He's not going to be a third stringer. You're going to have Tyrod Taylor start for a few games. And Justin and Herbert. Just like, it always happens with Tyrod Taylor. There's no fault of his own, really. It's going to end up... I mean, not that he's played stellarly, but not bad enough to always get the boot for the, the, the incumbent coming in. Right. Or not the incumbent, the guy who's, you know, the next in line. The young the young cat coming yeah, exactly. in. Exactly. So I mean he hasn't played that bad, but it's gonna be first bad game Taylor has. Let's throw Justin Herbert in there. Justin Herbert's the guy they want to be their future. Can't be it's not gonna be a team like Indy. They have Phillip Rivers for whatever whatever that's worth. Clearly twenty five million dollars a year to them. So <laughs> then they have Jacoby Brissett. Oh don't for, don't forget they also think Phillip will Play another season, possibly, and they have Brissett, and they drafted somebody. I can't remember the guy's name. They drafted Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason, who that was a fourth round pick, but they seem—I think it was fourth—but they seem to think he could be more. So there's a lot of teams where, even on a backup role, either the starter is so dominant he's just the guy. It had to be a right combination of we're really not sure, or it's a really old player, right? 
So, I mean, let's, uh, you know, let's kind of go down the list of like, well, it's, it's a pretty short list. Yes. People talk, like I said, people look at Kaepernick's career, whether they like him or dislike him for off-the-field reasons, with rose-colored glasses, if you like him. Mm-hmm. And they've used their feelings on him outside in the media, the whole taking anything, to kind of affect, how, you know, project how they feel about him on the field. And to be honest, he was good. He's very athletic. This guy wasn't Lamar Jackson. This guy wasn't Patrick Mahomes. This guy wasn't Deshaun Watson. He had a career record of 28 and 30, under 60% completion percentage. He only played two full seasons out of, out of, I believe, six that he was active in the NFL. He hasn't played since 2016. He doesn't have a Pro Bowl or Old Pro or anything else attached to his name. There's no accolades attached to his name. He did two full seasons. He did go over 3,000 passing yards and over 500 yards in one season and 600 yards the other season in rushing yards, but never went over 21 passing uh, touchdowns. Didn't rush for a whole lot of passing touchdowns. I mean, he was mobile, and he had the whole run-pass option thing that people were saying was going to be the, the next wave in the NFL. He had a lot going for him as far as athleticism goes, but on the field, he had a very short window. He was really good. And you're even missing, then, he wasn't dominant. You're missing one thing. What's that? Uh, no, no, he didn't lose them all, but 37 career fumbles. Yeah. They didn't lose them all. He only lost 15, but let's... let's but that go. is not a good number. But if you're you're, you're t- almost touching double-digit fumble, fumbles in a season, that's problematic, too. Which some of these teams would say, that is problematic. But I agree. It's not... The greatest, but again, I'll make the point. Since 2016, they've developed offenses that seem to cater more towards his skill set at that juncture. And he's only 32. Right. It doesn't doesn't have that four years of wear and tear. So he could have a nice four-year, five-year run. If not longer, because he hasn't been taking that abuse the whole time. Who knows? But anyway, um, you want to go first? Yeah, let's go with the three teams you agreed with. Let's let's break that down. Okay. You said uh, Pats, Steelers, and Bears. Correct. Okay. I think the Patriots, for obvious reasons, their quarterback situation's up in the air. Yeah, I have um, no idea what Jared Stidham is. You don't know what Jared Stidham is. Uh, Brian, Brian Hoyer. Hoyer is a nice clipboard holder, and I don't mean that disparagingly. He's a guy who can come in and maybe for half a game, if something happens injury-wise, or he has to start a game for, for whatever reason might be serviceable, but he's not the guy who's going to lead your team. He's not a starting quarterback in the league. He's proven that. Right. Like I say, don't know what we have with Stidham. And if Kaepernick realizes he's not the top-notch, he's not the guy anymore, he's not getting a $100 million contract, if he understands he's going to have to get a one-year prove-it deal, New England's a good spot for him. Because I think automatically, nobody will say this because it's New England and Belichick doesn't say stuff like this, He's already going to be number two on a depth, one one B on a depth chart. Right, it'll be a, com- a competition between him and Stidham. If he's comfortable going in with, um, knowing he's going to have a competition, then perfect. And I think the offense is going to lean towards more of a RPO style offense, just because Stidham is more mobile than Tom Brady ever was. Right, that's just that's just facts, folks. That's not opinion. That's facts. If we were talking last year or the year before about 
should the Patriots sign Colin Kaepernick? I would have flat out said no. Oh, of course not. Because the offense doesn't translate. Tom Brady is a drop-back passer, old-school drop-back passer. The offense is dictated towards that. They're going to morph the offense. I'm not going to say they're changing it dramatically because, one, they're not having off-season training. And, two, it's a young kid. He's, he's learned some stuff last year, but he had to learn behind Tom Brady – so you kind of needed to learn what Tom Brady was doing. So it's not like they could just install, oh, well, well, Tom's doing this, but we'll install an offense with Jared Stidham. That's, that's re- patently ridiculous. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's not happening. So, plus he was probably running the scout team, and sometimes the scout team, you're going against uh, the ones, and your your team you're facing is uh, Baltimore, Tech, uh, Houston, who have a mobile quarterback. So, he might have done some stuff then, but now you're going to develop the offense even more with Jared Stidham being a little bit more mobile, a little more run action, a little more bootlegs. Because we know with Tom, they didn't do bootlegs because just Tom's just not that's not, not his style. Yeah, no, it's not his thing. So that's why I say New England is a really good fit because it could be a pure competition between the two of them. And the best one wins out. Again, Jared Stidham was a third-round pick. Third round? Fourth Fourth. round? Yep. He wasn't that great at Auburn. I know. Any expert you talk about in college, well, Auburn didn't have a lot of talent around him. Man, he still sucked. Whether you say Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady in college either. I'll just say that. Right. But he still sucked at Auburn. He couldn't do anything. Where did Tom Brady suck? He didn't suck at Michigan. He won a pro, he won a the Orange Bowl. I didn't even know he started. He did. He started half the half the games in the season. It's like seeing how riled up you get when I start talking shit about Michigan. But look, it's a soft spot. All right, they have they're in a rut. <laughs> they're in a two decade rut. That's neither here nor there. It but factual. Be. But go ahead. But you don't know what he is yet, and I get it. You should give him an opportunity. But let let's be realistic, okay? Last year, beginning of training camp, they had Tom Brady, Jared Stidham, and Brian Hoyer. By the time the season started, who were the quarterbacks on the team? Tom Brady, Jared Stidham. That's what tell you, that's what they tell you that's what they tell you they think of Brian Hoyer. Right. That he will pay you a point what was it, one point five um in guaranteed money to go play for Indianapolis. Because we Value this player at this position over you so you can just go play with Indianapolis for a year. I don't think they'd have a problem with saying, Brian. I'd go play for Indy for a year for 1.5. you kidding me? Right. Well, I mean. I'd walk there right now. But they'd have no problem saying, Brian, look, we have Colin. We have Jared. They run the same. They're going to run the same kind of offense together. You don't really kind of run that offense because you're not as mobile as they are. Have a nice day. Hoyer's here to be a clipboard holder, though. I understand he's that. He's there just to, just to, to coach and, and, and be there for Stidham to fall back on. That's all. He's he's a 51-50 player on the roster, and if they'd have to decide between this young linebacker they drafted this year, take Anthony Jennings. Between him on the roster and Brian Hoyer, they're going to pick Jennings. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Chicago, 
Chicago's a little more dicey just because... I don't think that's a great fit, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility because the offense... The offense will dictate to what Colin does. I think it's it's because that's what Foles did in Philly. That's what they attempted to do in Jacksonville. I say attempted. It really didn't work because Jacksonville's Jacksonville. Foles got hurt, yeah, in Jacksonville's the Jets of the South. So I think the offense, because what of what they tried to run with Mitchell Trubisky, is kind of what they want to do. But it just doesn't make it doesn't make clear sense for Chicago to sign him. No, but it is a possibility. It would be a three person competition. Yeah, and I think that's the only reason it would be a good fit is because it would be an open competition. Because I think personally, Nick Foles should be the starter in Chicago next year, hands down, between him and Trubisky. Um, I think Trubisky shouldn't be allowed to ever touch a football in the city of Chicago ever again because he's been absolutely awful. Which, again, is due to pressure on him based on how they ended up getting him. They drafted him. They traded all those picks up to get to a position and draft him where nobody else is going to get to. But I've already discussed that problem blue in the face in past episodes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it, between him, Trubisky, and Foles, it's Foles. But if you wanted to throw a little you know, a wrench in there, you could say, hey, we're going to bring in Kaepernick. One-year deal. Uh, I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, besides games, which they were doing anyways, put Trubisky in there. So you have Foles and Trubisky kind of go for the first and second string. Not Foles and Trubisky. Uh, Foles and Kaepernick mm-hmm. go for first and second string. And then, you know, let Trubisky sit there and, you know, drink Gatorade on the bench. It might work. It would be. You could also kind of use it like they do with – um uh, and, um, oh, my God. New Orleans. Wow. Can't Taysom get words Hill. right today. New Orleans with Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. Obviously, neither Colin Kaepernick or uh, Nick Foles is the talent that Drew Brees is. I'm just saying you could use it that way. One could kind of come in and contradict the other as far as styles go. Kaepernick much more athletic. You could have more of an option in offense. And you have some talent there with guys like Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery and um, – Allen Robinson, some good players on that offense. You bring in the right quarterback in the system or the right one-two punch at quarterback, could be valuable. I don't think Chicago will go for it. I don't think that's where they're going. I think they're just content to let Nick Foles be their starter this year and try to draft somebody next year. But it's a possibility. The one I really think... I think this is probably the one we're both leaning towards. Yeah, the one I think is a really good option for him for so many reasons is the Pittsburgh Steelers. You might say, well, they already have Roethlisberger. But for how long? This guy was talking a few years ago, and he said, well, it was because of the Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown drama. Big Ben was talking about retiring. But he wants to come back for this year. He said he still has a few years in him. That was, of course, in the offseason when he wasn't taking the abuse of playing. But he's going to come back for this upcoming season. And they have a decent offense around them. Very uh, very good defense. That defense is still going to be there. That offense they're only going to improve upon because Pittsburgh takes a lot of pride in their team. They will not allow themselves to be mediocre if they can help it. That ownership is solid. Yeah. And they are consistently a competitive team and franchise because that ownership 
management of how they run that team and franchise. They see a guy like Kaepernick, who, you know, isn't obviously the long-term solution, because like you said, a 32, he could, you know, could potentially, if he hasn't taken a lot of abuse and injuries, go to age 38, 39. Chances are he'd have a three- to five-year window at most. And being mobile, that is reduced of any kind of injury. But you could have him come in and kind of transition, you know, Big Ben, okay, he retires. Kaepernick comes in as his backup next year. Shows what he can do to go into the following season, re-sign him again, maybe give him a little bit shorter-term deal, plays out his career in Pittsburgh. Happy ending to his playing story. Right. It's possible. It's not a stretch to put him in that offense either. I just don't think so. You put him with the guy like Juju? Juju, Deontay Johnson. Oh, absolutely. Some of the kids they, they drafted this year. Absolutely. It, it's just a lot of it, – it's it's a it's a style of offense that has transitioned from when we were young kids. It was ground and pound in, in Pittsburgh. That's all it was. Drone Bennett. Three yards and a cloud of dust thing, right. yeah. Drone yeah. Bennett, ground, ground and pound. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they drafted Ben Roethlisberger, you saw that transition. And I just think it's a it's a purely like we watched that it was one of the first games we watched together uh, before we uh, did a podcast. I counted it off. Not once did Roethlisberger go under center. Not once. A lot of uh, a lot of run action passes, which is what Kaepernick does. Now, obviously, Ben, not the running style quarterback. He can if he needs to, but that's when you know. All hell breaks loose, and 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 he's running for his life. He can he can get some yards still. He's a big boy. He can still get some yards. Kaepernick's a different animal. So th- this could open up the offense even more for Juju, who had probably the first time in his career issues getting open because he didn't have that guy on the other side as much as we know uh, all about AB. You can't deny the fact that having AB on the other side. Open up opportunities for Juju Smith. Hundred percent. And now they drafted a guy this year. They have Deontay Johnson. You just gotta, you know, this is this could be an opportunity. This this year is the opportunity for Juju to kind of say, "What am I? Am I one or am I just that two A to a one?" And and if something happens to Ben again, which. It's always on the table because he's... Well, yeah, he's, with his age, yeah. He's a big frame. He's a big target. Would you rather have Mason Rudolph and Hod... Uh, what's his name? Duck Hob... Uh, Devlin Hodges? Devlin Hodges, thank you. Would you rather have one of those two? Which I wouldn't because we saw what happened at the end of the season. Or would you rather have Colin Kaepernick waiting in the wings after week three and saying, we still have a chance especially in the AFC North where you have Baltimore and then it's Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. And you don't think with the expanded wild card spot, you don't think they have a shot at maybe getting that this year because they would have got it last year. They would have got smoked. But they would have got I don't know if Pittsburgh is going to work for Kaepernick. He's going to have to complete with De- Devlin Hodges as a third over as the third-string quarterback. And then former Broncos great Paxton Lynch as the fourth stringer. 
So oh no, I kid of course. Kaepernick could probably smoke both those guys without a problem. But you have two teams that I did not pick. You didn't, and I just wanted to bring up some one more thing about the Steelers. Sure, I think they're all, not only on the field would he be a fit. The entire idea for the Rooney Rule, which is to help the inequality with with black coaches and minority coaches in general, but primarily black coaches getting interviews for positions uh, with NFL teams. That started in Pittsburgh. True. I mean, the the entire ownership has been all about working towards equality and fair treatment for a long time before the rest of the league caught up. So you're talking about a guy who has really spent the last five or six years really being all about that, going to a team that he knows would support him not only on the field but off the field. I mean, I think that would be not only a really good fit on the field, but comfort-wise for him off the field would work out really well. I don't know if he's going to look into that or not. I, I, I don't see why he wouldn't consider that. Because the last thing he wants to go do is go to a team that, in front of the media, is saying one thing, and then behind closed doors is saying, hey, Colin, be quiet. Because that's not going to work either. So, I mean, he wants to go to a team where he's going to be able to be himself and know that he has the support of ownership. And I think Pittsburgh's a really great fit as far as that goes. But there is one... I don't want to call it an issue. It's just one little note. You do remember Pittsburgh State, there, there was an option to come out on the field during the flag, but you had to stand or put your heart hand over your heart or salute, whatever it is, uh, or stay in the locker room. Right. And, and Pittsburgh had a little issue because they thought they were all on the same page. And then a player came out because he's a former – Marine, yeah, Andrew Villanueva, I believe. Yeah, Villanueva. Yeah. So that's the only problem is you you have to you have to figure that that situation because I don't even know if they figured that out situation yet as of right now. Well, I, I'll, I'll say this much: I mean that that he knows from an ownership standpoint, you have a team that's going to support that has been so in front of equality and everything in the league that. I would hope there'd be a good enough culture in that locker room to where if he was going to have a problem with Villanueva, the two of them could sit down, they're grown adults, and discuss it. You would, would think hope. so. You would, you would hope. think so. And if they can't, then it won't work out, and that's on them. Because, I mean, we're never going to solve any of these problems if we can't start communicating better. That's the key to everything. That's true. So uh, so who are the two teams that you say are fits as well? I also, on top of the Patriots, Steelers, and Bears, I believe the Jets and the Jaguars are options. Not as good as Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh is the A number one spot for him if he's going to come back to the NFL. And New England would be number two. What's that? New England would be number two. I'd say New England would be the second one, yes. I'd only say the Jets because Sam Darnold, uh, we don't know what we have with him. They don't know what they have with him. He had a pretty mediocre rookie year. And then he got mono last year, was injured, and he looked pretty decent at points late in the season when it didn't really matter, though, to them. So you don't know what you have with him. Their backup is uh, Joe Flacco. Your boy. Keep myself calm and not boy. lose my shit here because Joe Flacco. All right, but he, he sucks out loud. So Sam Donald is what they have at quarterback, and you don't know what you really have there. So you could say to a Kaepernick, hey, you know, we only have Joe Flacco, you know, he's not that great. Well, they, they do kind of know what they have in Darnold. He, he sees ghosts. Oh, he's, we have, they have a Ghostbuster, yeah. 
Um, but no, I mean, I, it wouldn't be ideal for Kaepernick because he, I would assume he'd want to go somewhere where he could at least compete or take over a good team when the when the incumbent quarterback was gone. But if it's his only option, or maybe something he could consider. I could see if Darnold were to get hurt or just straight up suck. I'm gonna take. I don't care. I don't care how long. I would take a 65 year old Colin Kaepernick on a walker before I let Joe Flacco step on the field and play quarterback for my team. That's a bold statement. Yeah, Joe Flacco is awful. I would take Kaepernick with a blindfold on over prime Joe Flacco. So there you go. And the uh, Jaguars. I mean, Minshew showed some good things last year. And clearly trading Foles, they think they're going to probably go with him. I'm not so I'm not going to go as far as to say that he's the guy. He is by default, but he showed some good things last year. Came back, had some nice comebacks in his first few starts. He got some pretty good defenses. I was especially impressed with a comeback he had against Denver very late in the game. Denver's a good defense, and he was a kid who nobody really gave a lot of credit to who came back and beat them. After him, they have a whole lot of nothing. So they want to kind of come in and say, well, we have Gardner Minshew. We'd like to bring in as a backup role, maybe compete for the job, because we haven't told Gardner he is the starter yet. Plus he's an undrafted? Yeah, exactly. Um, or is he Minshew, a Minshew is either a sixth or seventh round pick, I believe. Or I, I believe, yeah, I believe sixth, but... So I mean that's not that's not any indication that he can't be any good or he can't learn. But if he doesn't trend in the right direction as far as his on the field abilities go, bring a guy like Kaepernick in for a backup and just tell Minshew right off the bat, hey, you know, he didn't receive any guarantees. It's not like he's Tua Tagliavoa or whatever however you pronounce his name. Sorry, dude. Tua Tagliavoa. Tagliavoa. Sorry, I know I butcher it. What do you got? I guess I can barely pronounce my own last name. Um, but. It's not like it's him where he knows he's the guy. He's next in line. He's going to get his shot. Gardner is smart enough to know he's not guaranteed that position. And while he showed some flashes, if he doesn't continue to show things, he could very easily be replaced. So I don't think Jaguars or the Jets or even the Bears are ideal. I think the ideal situation for Colin Kaepernick is first the Pittsburgh Steelers and then New England Patriots. But it's only going to be one-year deals. I would say I could accentuate your point for Jacksonville just a little bit by saying that that division is up for grabs. And you you think, well, Indy's got a pretty good team. But who do they have at quarterback, Chris? Phillip Rivers, captain interception. Houston Texans, they have a great quarterback in, in Deshaun Watson. What's their problem? Uh, receiver staying healthy, offensive line. The coach is a moron who's also the GM. I think four, uh, I think four is enough, though. You good? I think four is enough. All right. Um, and then Tennessee. Albeit, yeah. it would be tough, but if you can stop Derrick Henry. What are you going to get out of Tennessee, though? You don't know. Cause That's you the have, thing. It's been one year where they've been the Tennessee they were last year. And you signed you sign Tannehill to a long-term contract, and you franchise tag Derrick Henry. Which I said you should have done the reverse. Yeah, I think we both said that, yeah. Because you'd get a heck of a lot more out of Derrick Henry on a long-term deal. And you may pay for it with, with, with only giving Tannehill a, a franchise tag. But this way, you know for sure he's your guy. 
And if you find out real quick, and trust me, folks, you'll find out real quick if the league's caught up with Ryan Tannehill on whether or not he's the guy. Because then you can just stack him. Right. Eight in the box, nine in the box, and say, hey, Tannehill, beat us. Especially if you have a lockdown corner, you stick him on A.J. Brown, and you say, good luck, because you don't have a tight end. You have Derrick Henry, who is a great, who's a great runner, but not exceptional in the pa- in the passing game. Deion Lewis is gone. You don't know what else you have. And I don't believe they have a tight end, unless I just said that. I may have just said that. But there's no other – there's no second receiver that you are really threatened by. So just put nine in the box and say, good luck, Ryan. And if he beats you on a play, so be it. If A.J. Brown beats your best corner, so be it. But at least you're making it low percentage opportunities for them to score. And if you have an offense like, I don't know, Kansas City, Denver, what what Denver's looking like it could be, Baltimore would probably have a little little axe to grind against the uh, Titans if they faced them. Maybe, maybe you get something out of Leonard Fournette if you bring in Colin Kaepernick. Maybe you get a little, uh, even more out of DJ Chark, and without looking at their um, draft uh, from this year, I know they got some good pieces. And let me throw this out there: you bring in Colin Kaepernick. Maybe, and I'm not saying uh, because Yannick and Jaku's black and, and Colin's black that that would keep him there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you. Because I think I think with the the precursor, the two precursors for Yannick wanting the trade, Jalen Ramsey not getting paid and being traded, and then paying Nick Foles, and then trading him less than a year later. Right. I think those are your two precursors on why Yannick wants to be traded because he just doesn't have faith. Where you bring in Colin Kaepernick, give him that one year deal, he can fight with. Um, Gardner Minshew, who probably beat up Gardner Minshew for the starting role. And now you see what you got. And you say, Yannick, let's see what we have before the trading deadline. So what, what do you think? You think like maybe maybe Yannick is thinking, should you pay this white guy all this money to come in, but then he trade a black guy away? No, I'm thinking I, I'm thinking you have Jalen Ramsey, you tra- you you drafted, you you brought up to top status, and you wouldn't pay him, so you traded him. Okay? Then you brought in all these pieces, minor pieces, and then you brought in, you paid all this money for Nick uh, for Nick Foles. You brought him in for less than a year, and then you said, you know what, it's not working out. You're gone, and you're Yannick and Jaku, and it's basically you and Miles Miles Jack, and that's about it. Don't they have? Uh, well, because they also traded AJ Boye. Don't they have Josh Allen also? Josh Allen, they just drafted last year. Right, but he's pretty good. He's pretty good, but he's that's it's just him. Right. There's nothing really on offense except for Leonard Fournette, who you don't know what you have in him. One year he's he's great, next year he's bad. Then he's okay, and then you don't know what. And then DJ Chark, who played really good last yeah, year. Yeah, he was really good. But he didn't play in a whole season. Now is that the, the Sadly for my fantasy team. Is that the quarterback's fault that he led him into some bad traffic, or is that him just not understanding route concepts? We don't know. I'm just saying. You can bring in a talent like Colin Kaepernick and, and see what that'll do to the team because 
Leonard Fournette has been calling for Cam Newton to be signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. At least the last time I saw when when after Cam Newton was officially released, he was calling for him to be signed. He was being a Panther to a Jaguar, one cat to another. He'd fit right in. But I mean, I think I think Colin would be a better fit because I still have injury questions about Cam Newton. But I'm just saying, it bringing him in could infuse some confidence that you're looking at a starting quarterback from a Super Bowl team who has talents. Whether we know what it is or not, we know he has talents. You can bring him in, and he could be an asset, and he could help the team's morale, because let's be honest, that Jacksonville's morale is probably shitty at this point. Yeah, so they're, the, they're the Jets of the South. So I'm just saying, to enhance your point, in the, in the AFC South, infusing one player onto any team could make a drastic difference. DeAndre Hopkins being traded from Houston to Arizona literally opens up that division. Yeah. As good as Deshaun Watson is, you can't do anything if your receivers are on the uh, in the training room. Oh yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah, doesn't matter. I said that with uh, the Eagles too. Right. Oh, well, they have this. They have this player, this player, and this player. Right? Well, let those receivers who are injured go and get anybody because anybody on the field is. It doesn't matter what the difference with big name or non-big name. Anybody who's actually on the field playing is more valuable than somebody who's on the bench or in the training room. So 100% right there. Oh, yeah. They had Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Aguilar, and DJX. Oh, oh, at one point, all really good to great players. But they were all in the training room. So they can only help you if they're on the field. That's all I can say. They only help you on the field. So it's an option for Jacksonville, but I don't think they'll do it. No, I think he's – if he plays anyway, I think it'll be Pittsburgh and New England. But – Oh, speaking of the Northeast, Chris, is there a team in the Northeast you want to discuss? Well, I got a, I got a, you know, question. Like back when all the Astros stuff broke about sign stealing and scandals, and then it came to light that Alex Cora was one of the main fixtures in that whole scandal. Yep, and he was not with the Red Sox. Yep. Well, the Red Sox didn't quite have the extremes that the Astros did. They they claim they did. Yeah, and I mean, evidence shows that they weren't quite as involved or in-depth as the Astros were, but they still, they had their hand in a cookie jar. What team was the loudest to speak up about how terrible it was that the Astros and the Red Sox had done what they did? Well, they they were also sort of mentioned, but they never really got to the forefront. But you're referring to the Yankees. Yes, the New York Yankees, who... Along with the Dodgers, probably were the loudest team to talk. Oh yes, the Dodgers. You thought they should. Dodgers been, were number one. The Dodgers. You thought they should have been awarded every World Series of the past fifteen years because they choke under pressure. Well, it's come to light recently that accusations against the Yankees that occurred in the twenty seventeen season may have been a little more serious than they'd like anybody to believe. Is that so? That is so. And recently. A judge in New York has ordered them to unseal a letter and make public that letter written to the New York Yankees by Rob Manfred in the 2017 season. The, the letter is regarding potential science dealing in the depth of that, the 2015 and 2016 season. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why was there a case to begin with? Why are we involving a judge? Why was this well, apparently, apparently sealed it, up? Chris? Apparently, it comes from a lawsuit filed by uh, people who were betting on DraftKings, oh. mostly Yankee fans. Oh, 
who were suing the Astros, the Red Sox, and DraftKings for $5 billion. Because even though they had been refunded money from games they bet on that the Astros were found to have cheated in, Mm -hmm. they weren't happy with that. They wanted to sue them. So, apparently this judge had repeatedly denied the opening of this letter. But they kept having countersuits. And they kept having different charges filed on the DraftKings and the Red Sox and the Astros. So, this judge apparently decided it would now be vital to open this letter to see a uh, history of disciplinary action by uh, Public Commissioner Rob Manfred. And that's putting it nicely. I like how you did that. Thank you. Uh, how he dealt with uh, the entire, any team's potential cheating scandal, situation, sign stealing, if there was any kind of pattern, if anybody was getting special treatment. And it's just kind of funny that Yankee fans kind of kept digging at this, digging at this, digging at this, and now their team is the one that's in the very unwanted spotlight. I feel like there's a correlation between these three teams. There's a connection, right? Well, there's, there's. Is it loose or is it is it a tight connection? I know there's um, there's two, some two, connection. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, okay. I'll let you. I'll let you. Uh, well, essentially, the belief is this all started with Carlos Beltran, and the reason that is is because every team, not every team he was involved in. Because he was also on the Rangers, and as far as I know, as of now, there's no accusations against the Rangers. Yet. Well, I mean, this is all going to come to light eventually. No matter how much Rob Manfred wants to hide his information. Because he's only... And I want to be very fair here. This isn't a situation... The Yankees are fighting this. Because disciplinary letters from the commissioner of baseball to individual teams are never made public. This isn't a, the letter he wrote to the Astros was not made public, and the letter he wrote to the Red Sox was not made public. So the Yankees' argument is, why does ours have to be public when theirs don't? And I say, let's open them all up. Why not? Every single one of them. We, I, get, I, we, we, get, every player, one of them. we get player suspensions that almost immediately they're allowed to be put out. Am I wrong? No, it's usually pretty quick, yeah. Like, even before the, the second test, the second sample is tested for a, on a player that may have taken some HGH, the suspension is, is, is put out on the ticker on ESPN. A player X gets 80 games, and yet the league office and, league office and, the, and the teams are just, oh, here's a, here's a hidden letter. Oh, you don't have to release it. Just put it, tuck it away. Make sure you keep it, but don't you don't have to put it out in the open. Sure, that's fair. You wonder well, why the players don't like the owners. Apparently, like I said, it is not. It, it's common practice for the commissioner's letters to not be made public. So, like I said, either open none of them or open all of them. And I'm in favor of opening all of them. Absolutely, because Rob Manfred has clearly shown a history of. Um, having no balls, essentially. That's fair. And I said he's a public commissioner. He's absolutely terrible. He's the worst commissioner in professional sports. He's got to be up there in top five, worst in history. He's an absolute joke. And these are the his, these are his good qualities in my eyes. And he is 
Sandy's life. He doesn't have anything to say of any kind of substance in in any kind of public forum. It's he's like he's like he's like baseball's perfect politician. It's always these ridiculous roundabout answers that don't give you any information. So let's open up these letters and see how honest old Rob's being. Because the Yankees are saying, we'll open the letter, but we want to have, we want to be given a chance to edit it and redact some names. That way our organization is not looked upon poorly. So they might as well just black the whole thing out. Well, okay, guys. So you've obviously seen the letter. What in there is going to look poorly on your organization? Because if you didn't do anything, the letter's not going to show anybody anything they can go, they can, they can run with as far as negativity goes. Let me tell you why. There's a lot of people out there who think not only does this go much deeper, but it may have somewhat started in New York. So, Carlos Beltran, who was at one point the second coming in baseball. There was a time when he was with the Kansas City Royals when he was younger. Right. He was, and he was a phenomenal player back then. He was pretty good throughout his whole career. But back then with Kansas City, he was absolutely incredible. And he was traded to the Astros. Astros for half a season before he signed with the Mets. When they pushed for the World Series. Yes. He was like the reason why the Astros, what was it? I'm sure you have the number, what, 03 or 04? It was somewhere around. It was. Or was it it the year they went, was it the year the Chicago White Sox won? It may have been that year, though, because technically Houston at that time was an NL team. I think I got a lot of info down here, but that's not one of them. I'm not but sure. He he was like he hit like 16 home runs yeah. or something in the playoffs, yeah, he and he it, was yeah. like the predominant reason why he they made it to the to the uh, World Series. But absolutely, no, he had, and he was looked upon as future Hall of Famer, uh, franchise game changer. Like he was just. You couldn't talk about this guy without, like, the heavens opening up and angels singing. Absolutely. And it just makes you wonder. He had a 20-year playing career, and he's that good and that sought after. He played for seven different teams. He was traded a lot. But why? Why? That's a good question. No, he was a good veteran guy that if you needed a playoff push and in the end of his career, he could pop some dingers. And that's possible. Good clubhouse guy. Kind or of help your team. The fact he's been tied to cheating for the last half decade. That's a possibility as well. Of that's only his playing career. Never mind a couple of years since then. Okay. Let's stop beating around the bush and being all coy. Here's the here's the long and short of it. Sure. He played for the Yankees from twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen. Okay. Okay. He actually played the second half of twenty sixteen with the Texas Rangers before going to Houston for the twenty seventeen season and winning the World Series. Apparently he told people when they showed up at Houston that their sign-stealing technology was behind the times. What? That's a direct quote given by more than one player in front office person with the Astros. Of course, nobody gives their name. Wait, can I can I rewind just, just yeah. one? Like, like if we're going to rewind, if I had sure. a rewind button, like yeah. five seconds. Did you say that their sign-stealing technology is behind? Uh, let me just see exactly what they said the quote was. I got it written down here. Uh, yeah, that was it. Yep. So, I, I say that because, as me, by the way, 
full honesty here, Chris did all this research. I sat back and just said, I want to experience it live, well, live on recorded tape. To me, Chris, that says, this is not a Houston Astro, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankee issue. No. This, this is, is a baseball a, issue. This is a baseball issue. Hmm. There's another thing that happened in the 90s that another commissioner covered up and then has been a black eye for the sport for the past two, three decades. Mind you, about four players are being blackballed from the Hall of Fame because of that. Let me ask you something. If I say the the code breaker system in baseball, what does that mean to you? Do you know anything about that? Code breaker. If, If... you know, I don't really know, but if I had to guess, it's guys who can break the um, the signs for uh, the first and third baseman uh, coaches that um, signal to their runners what plays on, whether it's hit and run, bunts, sack bunt, suicide squeeze, stuff well, Eventually, like that. I mean, the purpose is to get to that point. Okay. Here's the thing. Code breaker is actually someone who, during the game, watches a live feed of the game and logs the catcher's signals... And matches them with the corresponding pitch. Now, this is a completely legal practice in Major League Baseball. The thing that is not legal is to use it during the game. You record it, and then you use it following the game, and it's not seen as a big deal because anybody from the T-ball to the Little League field to high school baseball and on forward, you change your signs every single game. Sometimes you don't even use the same signs from inning to inning. And anyone who's ever played any kind of baseball, softball, anything in their life can tell you that. Even on a level, if you're a 2-12 and 12 high school team, you're still changing at least every game your signs. But you're changing them game to game, occasionally inning to inning, but mostly game to game, right? So, yeah. So apparently this wasn't good enough for Carlos Beltran. Correct. He wanted to go into His second more bat. detail. When you had, you know, the camera in center field, yep. and you had the replay room getting invaded by their players and all sorts of signals to players, including everything, and acu- accusations, including up to, you know, wearing wires and stuff of that nature. Well, here's the thing. It Alex Cora was the guy who was implicated as being the ringleader there. And Alex Cora... Hasn't really denied that necessarily the past few months. He has simply said it wasn't just one guy. Right. He hasn't named any names as far as I know. But he has said, if you think this is one guy, you're kidding yourself. So when he says that, and then everybody, everybody in the Astros organization who had a problem with it is coming out going, it was more than one guy. It was these guys. We told them to stop. It was so in-depth that... You couldn't even, you couldn't get a grasp on it. It was almost like, it was like a poison that just went throughout the entire system. Like you had the players who were doing good and benefiting from it were doing so good. Or they thought they were anyways. Because of this. And the sad part is a lot of those players are probably talented enough to do it on their own. Probably. Jose Altuve is a great player. Lance Bregman, while he is a giant a-hole, is a very talented baseball player. We'll see how talented now. But, you know, supposedly they didn't do anything last year and they had a good year. So, Altuve didn't, but he was injured. 
So, we had 20, uh, 2015, 2016 was one of the years the Yankees were accused of really sign-stealing. The Red Sox and the Yankees even got into a bit of a media dispute because the Red Sox accused the Yankees of stealing signs. The Yankees accused the Red Sox of stealing signs. And if this is telling us anything, it's that they were both just stealing each other's signs. Correct. Okay, so... You're both doing it. Shut up. Exactly. Every team's doing it. Get off your high horse. Shut up. Like, this is what I said, too, when everybody wanted to just sit there and just crucify the Astros. It was, are they idiots for doing it? Yep. Did they take it too far? Absolutely. Should they have been punished? Yes. Drop it. Unless everyone's going to get the same criticism, drop it. And that's why when we when we discussed Mr. Cody Mellinger... You said it from the beginning. What did I say? Unless you know there's no skeletons in your closet, shut your mouth. Because I tell you... Do you know Justin Verlander? Well, you don't know him, but you kind of know his personality, right? If it gets out that the Dodgers were doing the same stuff, that dude's going to be front and center on a camera the next day. Well, probably not the next day, actually that night. And you know, uh, at Bauer Outage, will be posting immediately saying something. That is... Uh, Trevor Bowers' um, Twitter and Instagram uh, handle. Show favorite international treasure. Great follow. I, I recommend it. So that's why I always say, let people roast themselves yeah. with the information that's out there. Don't just jump back, on Get it. some popcorn and watch. Don't get yourself involved unless you know you're clean. Right. I, I just, I just that's, that's what I attribute. Just sit back and watch. And let them roast themselves. Don't pile on if you're Cody Bellinger. Don't pile on if you're. I mean, I, I Trevor Bauer hasn't. I, I don't know if he's got anything, but I probably wouldn't pile, pile on if I were him. Anybody else? Just back off. Let that let happen what it's going to happen, and then if it comes to your front door, at least you can. At least you're not going to catch heat from other players because you said some shit that you shouldn't have said. Yeah, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around a little bit here, guys. I'm a little bit, uh, I'm jumbling my words a little bit. I have wrote down a lot of information on this, and I didn't do the best job of putting it in the exact order I should have. But essentially, you know, we had the actual situation. They got, well, punished by Rob Manfred's terms. They got their slap on the wrist. The Red Sox got barely a slap on the wrist. Well, they blamed the video guy. Yeah. Uh, they did lose a draft pick, too, I believe, but it was nothing, nothing major. The Yankees now, or even though they're claiming they did nothing wrong, don't want anyone to see the letter. It appears as though the letter will be opened after the Yankees can make redactions and, uh, you know, take some names out. So, and, and again, it's a lot like people say, well, if you're going to do nothing, why not show it to you? Well, because if not everybody else has to, why should you have to? And I can understand it. I'm a Red Sox fan now, but I'm being fair. If I'm a member of the Yankees front office or ownership, I say, unless they're going to have to show their letters, we're not showing our letter. And I'm 100% for that. Because I don't think, just because people want to see it, they should be entitled to it if it's not common practice. So I like during the flag gate, they wanted to see Tom Brady's phone. The hell right is it of yours or anybody in the public to see what's on somebody's phone? He wasn't being accused of a violent crime. It's none of your business. Shut up. Go home. But, Bellatron seems to be a common thread throughout all of this. Started with the Yankees. They got accused of it. Moved on to Houston. The year they won the World Series, we all know what happened there. Then he went back to the Yankees as a special advisor before, I believe, going back to the Astros 
where things got really bad to the point where other players were even asking Alex Cora, hence, you know, Mike Fires when he came out and blew the whistle, were asking Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran to tone it down because they knew when they got caught it was going to be bad. And it is. And it has been. But Carlos Beltran saying, your practices and sign-stealing are behind the times is very much indicating to me not only is he not new to it, and the previous team he was with was the Yankees, who are now in question, but as you said, if it's such a thing where you have uh, times to be behind on, this has been a common and, 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 and uh, common practice, and, and not for the short term. It's been something that's been happening ever since we started getting all this technology into the game. So, I... Uh, I'm interested to see what happens, but as much as it pains me to say, I'm kind of on the Yankee side here when it comes to the letter. If you're not going to see every letter he wrote in that regard, as far as Rob Manfred goes, then they shouldn't have to show theirs either, honestly. I just feel it, fair is fair. It's got to be across the board or nothing at all. But either way, as much as Rob Manfred tries to cover all this up, it is all coming to light. And as it unravels, it is unraveling quicker and quicker and quicker. And it is looking very bad on him. And he does not need any more reasons to look bad. He's already awful as it is. Yeah, it's it's not good. This is not good. This is not good for baseball. They're already having problems as it is with all the the BS with the negotiations. Are they going to play this year or not? This just makes it worse because now you have another scandal going on, yep. and you can call what the steroid era what what it was. But Paul, Ty- oh, not Paul Tagliu, um. What's his name? I forgot his name. Who? The commissioner before Manford. Bud Taylor. Thank you. You can say what you want about Bud. He did sweep it under the rug. He wanted that season to happen between McGuire and Sosa. Because, as you stated, it brought back baseball. And baseball is not where it is right now without that season. No, baseball is probably MLS level right now. And that's being generous. Yeah. This could cripple the game if it gets out. If players, ex-players, start talking and just saying, I'm out of the league. The league's doing nothing for me right now. I'm not getting anything from it. I can go a la Conseco and just write books on it. Because you know Kaseko's made books on on the steroid era. Yep. Wouldn't start would it stop Mike Fires if he all of a sudden stopped playing baseball because he can't pitch anymore? I put my air quotes up. To start making support putting out books on detail of how the Astros cheated and then he starts getting interviews with other players on other teams and it just starts to spiral out of control. And you said it. He's a puppet commissioner. There's no way he can put a lid on this. Once it, once it, once that Pandora's box opens, yeah. Once it's out, you can't put it's it back. It's done. Yeah. No, you're done. Yeah. You might as well own it now. Get ahead of it, and try to fix it, and try to move forward. Because that's what they did with the steroid era, and they, they're they're there's two players that should be in the Hall of Fame that are going to not make it because. The baseball writers and the league do not want them in. Well, three in my point of view. 
You're talking. You're talking Bonds and Clemens. Right. I think McGuire should be there too. But you can debate. You can debate McGuire, but for sure, two players that will not get in because they want. They don't want him in. And you know who's gonna who's gonna be the biggest hypocrite in this thing is those damn baseball writers who are protecting them. Yep. They refuse to write anything on this. They're the same ones who won't change the game because they're so stuck in the old school. You're using this kind of stuff to change the game, and you, you won't bring it to light. The same people that refuse to put 100% on anyone but Mariano Rivera. He's the last person. Derek Jeter didn't get in 100%. So they're just as much to blame on this as the players, the front offices. They're, they're crippling this game. Because they won't put directives, rules in place to govern this. And and they could say that they did it, but they're covering up what happened. Can we call it a game right now? No. Because you, in order to be a game, you have to actually play and get on the field. And right now, they're essentially a debate team. Anyone who bet on games the past decade has every right to sue MLB, major, uh, every Major League Baseball team. No, I'm certainly not going to encourage a rash of I wouldn't see, reaching see, lawsuits, but where I would stop, Chris, is DraftKings. I don't think should be responsible because unless they knew, unless you can factually prove that they knew, I yeah. would say I would say you can't blame them if they knew. Then yes, but if they didn't know, you that can't won't put it on too them. Much to, anyways, because there's all sorts of disclaimers you agreed to and fine print before you even agreed to there play you go. on DraftKings. So there's so, not there's nothing that's going to come of that. But I tell you, some of these some of these gamblers. Would absolutely put a, a lawsuit in front of a, a judge uh, against MLB and every other team. Oh, they are, every they team have. That's it's only a matter of time. They already put one in front of the, the Houston Astros, the Boston Red Sox, and DraftKings for this. So it's only a matter of time before they just that across letter, the board sue everybody. And that letter gets out. It's going to be in front of uh, one for the Yankees as well. Yeah, and it'll start spiraling out of control. And you know, Rob Manfred's not a uh, commissioner that can control a narrative. Rob Manfred can't even control his own narrative. Right. Because, again, as I've said, he's strictly a puppet for the owners. He does not have any reach of his own. He's just there to repeat what they say. Which is why the proposal, the what was it, several, I, I, I either heard several hours or seven hour conversation with Tony Clark. Well, here's the thing. Last week he comes out and says, this is going to be very quick, folks. We're not digging deep on this. No. We have for the last two months, every episode. We're not going to put you through that again. He comes out last week, says 100%, 100% can be played. Yep. Then they come out and they say they have the drop-dead date of the 15th. That's it. They, they're going to stop negotiating after that. Then all of a sudden, and he says that day, Rob Manfred says, I'm not so sure now. No kidding. So then comes out that him and Tony Clark have a, I don't know if it was seven or several, but they a many, many hour meeting, and they came away with the owners proposing a 60-game season to the players. Players didn't like that. Players want a 70-game season. Well... Again, we're not getting counteroffers. We're not getting negotiations where this is what we're going to do. Okay, this is what we want. Okay, we're going to forget that. This is what we want. Okay, forget that. This is what we want. There's no meeting in the middle here. It's we want our list of demands. Oh, we want our list of demands. They're just arguing back and forth. So, apparently, I just read this before we started recording. Yep. The owners, <laughs> after all day, every sports set reporting, baseball was probably really close on getting on the field. That, that, there's not that true. Which is not even close to That's true. Apparently the owners were so furious that the players uh, have not only rejected their 60-game offer, but won an extra 10 games. 
They are so mad, they do not plan on making a counteroffer for the foreseeable future. No time soon. That's exactly what they said. They're not, they have no intent on making them another offer because they've done the best they can. This so. just this just proves my point. Major League Baseball, and that's encompassing players, owners, front office, the MLB office, is out of touch with reality. They're Massively. out of touch with their fan base. Massively out of touch. They have no idea what their fan base wants. They, they doesn't want three-hour and 45-minute games. It doesn't want arguing between sides every other year, especially in a pandemic with social, racial undre- uh, unrest. With everything that's going on, even in, a, even in a year when nothing's going on, people don't want to hear this. You don't know what you're doing. The fan base wants baseball. That's the fan, it. The fan base wants memories. They want home runs. They want great pitching performances. They want perfect games. They want no hitters. They want stats. They want uh, stealing home base. They want great defensive plays in the outfield, robbed home runs. They want the memories. They don't want to have to feel guilty about being a fan and have to explain how they're still watching this because the players and owners act like rich, petulant children. This is asinine. You can't watch a game and feel good about it because you know all the ugliness and vile that went into it. People and fans of this game just want to watch baseball and enjoy it like they did when they were a kid. And these players and these owners and these negotiations have taken every single bit of that out of it. The most mind-numbing thing, and this is going to, this is at, with all the information you gave, this adds on to it. The most mind-numbing thing is watching a pitcher, and I'll specify David Price because he is one of the pitchers that takes forever from pitch to pitch to throw the ball. It is mind-numbing. When Christian Vasquez would give him a sign, which takes the better part of half a decade to give, and David Price shakes him off. So guess what happens? He has to give him another sign. And then the next inning, as you said, they change everything because everything's on video because they're they're checking everything. So it's like you've literally extended the game because you guys can't not cheat. Because you can't not use the video to look at what Christian Vasquez's signs and, and, and line it up with the pitch that David Price pitched. Whereas you could simply just say, stop with the video, lock the room, and this way Christian Vasquez can put down a one, just a one, and pat his left leg for up and in fastball. And David Price can just pitch the ball. And it'll take... I mean, like, Four they, seconds. like they used to when the games took two and a half to three hours apiece and didn't have to devote an entire week's vacation to watching one game. Mark Burley would quit. I know I keep referencing Mark Burley. Mark Burley could pitch an under two-hour game. And he would probably quit right now because you know what he would want. Catch the ball, pitch it. Catch the ball, pitch it. That's all he did. That's why he's got – I think he's got at least one one perfect game and he's got, I think, a hitter under his belt. Plus he has a World Series ring. Plus, he's probably the quickest pitcher I've ever seen pitch. I wish there was 100. Greg Maddox, Greg Maddox might want to work with you, but... Yeah. 
And plus, he's won a couple of gloves. Yeah. I know that much. Many. It was a great fielder. But that's my problem with baseball. It's just, yeah. it's just, it, I'm on the that's one of many. But that's what, that's what the Sears in my mind is just watching. And it's just, just and, and let me, let me make sure I, I emphasize this point. It's not just David Price. There are many, many other oh, yeah. pitchers. A lot of, especially relievers. Rick Porcello was synonymous with doing this crap, too. And and his best parts was when he was just getting the ball and pitching it. And he got in the same rut that David Price would get into. Chris Sale started getting into those ruts, too. When he, when the pitches weren't going over plays. Now he's uh, he's got Tommy John, but that's regard, uh, neither here nor there. My point is, is there are a lot of pitchers who do this. And they just don't understand until they leave the game and they try to watch it themselves. Yeah. Because that's what they need to do. They need to sit down and try to watch the games themselves as a fan. Not invested as a, a player on a team. I mean, sit back. Because right. David Ortiz said it himself. He can't watch the games. Well, I think he can't watch him. Spe- I think Big Poppy speaks for a lot of us. And it's unfortunate. But we need to end this because we said we weren't going to get into a long term. We both went for a little longer than we planned on it because we both have strong feelings on this topic. Yep. Which is fine. But we are going to get out of here. And if we, as always, love to hear any of your thoughts or opinions on any of our topics or any questions you may have for Ben or I. And Ben, where can they do that? They can hit us up on Twitter. That's at BCTSPod. Or on Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed episode 73. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe and stay healthy. We will see you right back here Tuesday morning. Thank you.